Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Welcome to Industry Seating. My name is Jason Thomas, and I will be your host today. I'm going to share some opinions and some thoughts on the new schedule. We're going to answer some listener questions and emails. You guys really turned out for that, and I know there's a set of Pirelli tires and a Formula helmet on the line, but I still do appreciate all the questions. And I'm not going to get to all of them. I'll save some for today, save some for next week, and the coming weeks, because again, we're not going to have any motocross action for at least another, what, three weeks? Uh, the first MXGP round scheduled for August 9th, so we'll certainly get into that. And then the first Lucas Oil Pro Motocross round here in the States is on August 15th. I do want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires, Blenzall Oils, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Mirror Vapor Blasting, Fast Foundry, and fly racing. Thank you to all of those people for being on board and please go check those guys out. I will give those guys another shout out here in a little bit, but let's jump right into this. So the schedule came out finally, and there was uh, a lot of speculation, people guessing as to where we're going to go. And I heard all kinds of crazy rumors about what that looked like, but I thought it was pretty well drawn out when you really look at how they, you know, the some of the guidelines and some of the restrictions they had in place and just a lot of the tracks, they were just told no. Uh, High point is really the home race for MX sports and for them to not be going there, you know, they had no choice. That was just a hard no from the governor of Pennsylvania period, because that track is 15 minutes from the MX sports headquarters. And it, it is a very proud event for them. They have a lot of, I don't want to even say money because it's, you know, they're as the stewards of the series, every race counts, but for them to have everybody in town, you know, everybody stays in Morgantown throughout the weekend. They have a big, uh, racer X party. Uh, of course, you know, racer X is an affiliate of MX sports. So to miss out on all of that had to be a tough pill to swallow, but that was just one of a few rounds that were just going to be a hard. No Southwick, same problem. Bud's Creek, same problem. Unadilla, same problem. So then it came to, well, which tracks do we think that we're going to be able to pull this off one way or another, whether we can have spectators, whether we can have an amateur program, which, Hey, let's face it. That allows for spectators one way or another, right? I, I'm sure that's probably not something that was brought to the forefront of the conversation with local government, but having amateur racing allows for spectators to be at the event, which is great for everybody. And and I think there are some classifications of how these events are listed, whether they are a professional sporting event or whether they are an amateur recreational event. And I think that matters. So as we get more information, I believe I was told Washougal would be a race that's like that, where only the amateur participants would be allowed in. But I, I think there are going to be more. And don't quote me on that because I don't have all the information. But I do know that guaranteed some of these events aren't going to be just a normal spectator event. And if you're a promoter of the series and you are faced with the choice of no race at all, or you can have your amateur program and those people will be allowed to stay for the pro national, you're going to take option B every single time. It is a much more financially solvent idea than just not having a race at all. Is it ideal? No. But nothing's ideal in the new COVID-19 financial situation that we have for everybody. That's just what we have to accept. And crying about it and complaining about it, it's not going to do any good. We all went through that. There was a time when that was everyone's way of 
thinking about it and approaching it is we just want normal. We just want to go back to the way things have been forever. And unfortunately, until we get a vaccine where the fear, you know, of, of people getting sick and obviously worse situations than that is gone, or we have a way to cure this. These are the difficulties we're going to face. So I think we're all best served finding the best alternatives and the best compromises available. So we can still get the racing we want. We can still live with our lives being as close to normal as we want. Is it going to be perfect? No, but are we still going to be able to enjoy our lives and and get to do the things we want with some stipulations and some things that may not be as easy as they were before? I'm okay with that. Do I love it? No. Again, this isn't about whether it's awesome. This is about what's the best alternative because otherwise we're getting nothing. And we went through that. Go back and think about the end of March, all of April, all of May. We had no racing and it was terrible. We were stuck in our house. That was terrible. We couldn't even go outside. All the restaurants were closed. It was, you go into the you know downtown areas and it was like a ghost town. It was like straight out of a movie. So I don't want any part of that. So if I have to wear a mask, if I have to deal with some inconvenience, then so be it. We'll get past it. I really do believe that all of this craziness is going to come to an end in the next five months, right? And, and that seems like a long time. But if you've been following the news closely, there is a vaccine on the way. Now, whether how effective it is and how long it lasts, and there are a million questions that go along with that, but I think we are on the right track. If you, These companies like Moderna and uh, AstraZeneca, these companies are, they're on the gas to put it in moto terms. I mean, they are really making things happen quickly. And, f- you know, for lack of a fear of any side effects, I think they could release this thing right now. And probably it would work. I think obviously they just need to go and go through the steps to make sure there aren't any harmful side effects. And we may not know that for a very long time, but I think it's going to come down to the alternative is too damaging. And there are going to be people that will shy away from this vaccine. I know lots of people that are like, I'm not taking that. But for me, if you're going to say, Hey, you take this, the world goes back to how it was and business comes back and you get to travel and goes to the races and you get to live your life the way it used to be. Hey, sign me up. I- I'm ready. Like I-, I am willing to take that chance because honestly the quarantine life and the economy going in the crapper and all this stuff isn't, isn't great. That's not a great alternative. So I have friends that have had coronavirus and it wasn't a great time. Thankfully they were okay. They didn't have, you know, real serious situations accordingly. Um, but I don't, I don't want to get off on a tangent on this whole coronavirus, but I just want to get back to our normalcy. And if, if racing has to be affected a little bit and the way we go about it and, and it can't just be a free for all with spectators everywhere and open pits and all that for right now. Okay. I can live with that because that's coming back. This isn't a permanent change. This is a temporary fix to get through the season. And 2021, I think, is going to be a completely different picture, especially with the way this vaccine's happening. I think there's a very good chance that we go back to normal Supercross the way it looked in 2019 and 2021. And I'm not close to this situation. I'm certainly in no place to make policy, but that's what I see happening because I think people on both levels, I think people are tired of being cooped up and tired of living in fear. And I think they're also pretty optimistic about our scientists and our doctors are going to figure this out because this wasn't something they'd never seen before. Yes, it was uh, more contagious than they expected, but SARS and MERS were in this same virus family. It was just a different mutation of it. So they, they had such a head start on building this vaccine, which is why things are happening so quickly. Because remember, the, the fastest vaccine in history was four years. It took four years to cultivate and get it out and, and have it properly tested. But we had such a head start coming off of SARS and MERS that we fast-tracked all of that process, right? So you're taking all of the things you learned and applying it to this specific situation, this specific strain, but it put us way ahead of the game. So I'm optimistic. I think this is a great workaround. I I commend MX Sports for making this happen because it couldn't have been easy. This had to be a nightmare logistically to pull off. And hey, we haven't pulled it off yet, but 
with a schedule that looks doable and maybe they have to amend it along the way, at least we have some sort of plan in place to, uh, to get rolling. So as you look at the schedule, Loretta Lynn's is first, August 15th. And that's going to be interesting because for those of you who've been, and more importantly, those of you who haven't, Loretta Lynn's is a pretty small track. It's not really built for a pro national. In my opinion, uh, it's built for an amateur national, which obviously is what it's hosted for, you know, going on 40 years. So it's a, it's a pretty small, uh, course overall, like as far as it's spread out and it, it doesn't have elevation. It doesn't have, um, these, this huge picturesque layout that some of the tracks on the, on the circuit do like a Washougal or a Lakewood or a Bud's Creek. So you have to kind of change your outlook a little bit. Now, do I think it's going to be very nostalgic and historic and have a lot of really cool aspects to it? Because all of these professional guys are going to go back to Loretta Lens where they, you know, they all cut their teeth in their amateur racing. Yeah, that's going to be great. That's going to be awesome. Loretta's amateur national is going to end on August 8th. Everyone's going to, well, the MX sports people and a lot of the industry is going to stay back that week, I'm sure. And then the first national of the season will be the next Saturday, August 15th. And that's going to be pretty cool. I, I really believe there's an opportunity to make a very cool and unique environment, having those events back to back and incorporating those two, which we've never done. Now, after that, the teams are forced to then go to Washougal, which is a pretty tough ask because they have to go from Tennessee to Washougal and then back to Ironman, back to back to back. That's a lot of driving and a lot of travel. Uh, It's the hardest on the truck drivers. They're going to have to have multiple drivers, and that adds a lot of difficulty as far as their logs, and they can only drive so many hours a day. But then the teams also have to be there early enough to rebuild bikes and get everything sorted out. So it it really puts a bind on these teams, and, and I do feel for them. But I also know that MX sports didn't really have a choice. This is how the schedule was forced to be made. They didn't have a lot of wiggle room to kind of work out the intricate details of, you know, things like that, right? There is no upside for MX sports to send teams across the country and back on back-to-back weekends. They don't want to do that. It's not like they're out to get anybody. This is just the only way they could put it together. And I've heard teams complaining and, and sharing how difficult that is. But again, it's no different than this supercross season when the first round was Anaheim, the second round was St. Louis and the third round was Anaheim. It's exactly the same thing. That's how the stadium situations worked out. It's who had availability and yeah, were people unhappy about it? Of course they were, but sometimes just, just the way it goes. So we go to Ironman for the third round, which should be pretty cool. You know, we went from Ironman originally being the first round to now the third round. Following that, we have two Red Bud races back to back, which is going to be pretty cool. I think it also presents an opportunity, a unique opportunity for the industry and the sport because that's Labor Day weekend. So the Saturday of Labor Day weekend, which typically is a big football weekend, the college football season, and let's all say a, a small prayer that college football happens, should be kicking off that Saturday. And then Sunday would be off. Monday is Labor Day. And then Tuesday would be the next round. So that would be round five of the series. So you're going to have a round, you know, similar to Supercross. It would be Saturday and Tuesday where Supercross was Sunday and Wednesday. And it'll be challenging. You know, the guys are are generally used to practicing on that Tuesday anyway. But there is a pretty big difference between practicing and racing. So these guys are going to be forced to recover quickly. Uh, they're going to really have to be on their nutrition and their hydration. I would expect a lot of guys to get IVs on either Saturday night or Sunday, which is totally legal. As long as you're outside of the 24 hour window, just to try to get their hydration back. Maybe the weather will cooperate, you know, early September in Michigan. It could be nice. It could be hot. It could be cool and rainy. You, You just really never know. That's part of the fall in Michigan. Obviously look at motocross of nations was that was a month later, almost a month later, but still you never really know what you're going to get that part of the country going into the fall. So let's hope that the weather cooperates and keeps the temperatures down, which will put less load on the riders and they'll be able to recover more quickly for that Tuesday round. But that's still pretty cool. I I definitely plan on going 
to those red bud rounds and would stay back and enjoy some time with, you know, industry friends, watch some football, hopefully. And, uh, yeah, get to watch two races within a few days. That would be a great time. I think for, for everybody involved and the people that can go there and race the amateur national and, and whether they have two of them or one of them, you know, the amateur side of the, the weekends, I don't know. That's for the, the Richie family to sort out. But that really presents an extraordinary opportunity because if you're trying to plan your vacation, right, you've been quarantined and, and 2020 has just been a hell of a year. Let's, let's all admit that. But you look at it and you're like, okay, so you're telling me I can go to Redbud on Friday, go in, park, or Thursday even, right? You go in, you park your motorhome, you set up, you, you have, you know, grill set up and kids are running around. You get to watch the Pro National because you're an amateur racer on Saturday, then Sunday, you would probably race. I'm assuming they'll race on Sunday for the amateur national. Then Monday would be labor day. Maybe they race again. I, I don't know what their schedule would be. And then Tuesday, you get to watch another pro national. And then Tuesday night you drive home. That's, that's a hell of a few days of fun and racing. And you get to race yourself and you get to watch two pro nationals on the same weekend. So I love how that's lined out. I was really, it's probably the most excited I was about this entire series is, uh, just thinking ahead to how that whole weekend plus would, would, uh, roll out following that there's a weekend off. So after that Tuesday, the next weekend's off and that's the only weekend off. And then we would go into Millville. And if you've been following along, you know, Spring Creek, they have a Facebook page, whatever. They've been having a hell of a time with their government, their, you know, the governor of Minnesota and their local government about getting these events going and having a pro national. It just has not gone all that well. So we'll see how that rolls out. If they can have spectators, or if you have to be a part of the amateur racing program, but I was just happy to see Spring Creek get onto the schedule. Uh, I believe it's one of the, if not the best track on the series and the Martin family are just pure motocross. Obviously their two sons are, you know, supercross motocross stars, Jeremy Martin and Alex Martin. So for them to be not on the series would have been a, a pretty big disappointment, but there they are. So that's uh, September 19th. We will be at spring Creek. And again, you start thinking about the timelines of these races. Millville is usually the July, you know, 18th round. It would have been yesterday, right? It's always mid to late July. Now move that two months further back into the calendar and we could have some really cool temperatures. I don't think we'd get into any snow situations, but rain is much more likely in September than it would be in, in July. So it really opens the door so for some adverse conditions. But again, we could get beautiful conditions. We'll have the leaves turning colors, hopefully. We'll get cool mornings. So I'm excited about that. I, I think we'll have some some opportunity to for some very unique weather conditions for these nationals. Let's just hope that unique doesn't mean pouring down rain and, you know, 45 degrees that would suck pretty badly. And I would really put my foot in my mouth with all of this optimism I'm sharing right now. Following spring Creek, the, uh, the teams will travel down South to Florida. So we're now September 26th for the WW ranch national. And it's still going to be hot. I think it'll be better than July 25th would have been, which, you know, this coming Saturday would have been WW ranch for the second round. It's still going to be hot though, folks. Cause I can remember making that transition in September from my supercross. Well, excuse me, my outdoor practicing to my supercross practicing and just sweating bullets doing my supercross laps. And this is in September. Now it's going to be better. I do think it will be better. It, it'll probably be, you know, high eighties versus mid nineties. That's a fair assumption. And maybe the humidity will drop a little bit, but it's not going to be a, a walk in the park. These guys are still going to be suffering in Florida in late September. So watch for that round to still be a true fitness test. And maybe the toughest fitness test of this whole series, having such a late start. I probably shouldn't say that though. Thinking about Loretta's August 15th, if you've ever been to Loretta's, you know how miserably hot that is. So Loretta's is going to kick this thing off in a serious way, but then maybe the next toughest test will be at Florida on September 26th. The last two rounds, Thunder Valley and Paula have been two that I've, I've heard are very, uh, they're optimistic, but they're problematic with the local governments. Uh, hopefully those rounds go off as planned. 
But if you had to say, okay, pick two rounds where you think maybe they don't go, or maybe we have some big issues having them actually execute, I would say Colorado and definitely Paula. California has been very hard hit by this coronavirus and Gavin Newsom is not playing games and I'm not going to get political. Not a huge Gavin Newsom fan, but again, that's for everybody to make up their own minds. I just know that it's going to be challenging to get a national to run in California. Now we have a long time. You're not, you're talking about October 10th for that national to go off. So let's just hope that things calm down. Uh, these coronaviruses, the, the curve flattens once again, and, and uh, some of these guidelines are loosened to where we can have a great finale in Southern California, have a great turnout, and put a nice bow on this 2020 Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series. So overall, great schedule. It's not 12 rounds. It's nine. I do think we are at some great tracks, though. You know, I wish, uh, I wish we got all of them in because, you know, Southwick has made such a great return to racing with new ownership and they put a ton of time and effort into that facility. So I hate to see them miss out on this 2020 series, similarly to Bud's Creek and Bud's Creek has been, I've heard several times, we're not going to Bud's Creek this year. And then we end up going to Bud's Creek, but MX sports has taken over on national weekend and run this, you know, run the whole race themselves, Jonathan Beasley, for a myriad of reasons has decided to not. And, but MX sports really saw value in the Bud's Creek facility. And I'll be honest with you, it was my favorite track. If I had to pick one national that I was going to make this epic comeback for, which is not happening, I would want to race Bud's Creek. I just really always enjoyed it. I rode well. I felt like the dirt was very conducive to my skill set, and I hate to see it not on the schedule, but I can't say that it's a big surprise. Now, on the opposite side of that would be Unadilla. Now, do I like going to Unadilla? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like Upstate New York is beautiful. Did I like racing Unadilla? No. I don't like the rocks. I struggled with the lack of traction, and it's better now. It has gotten better. They've made a very concerted effort to improve the traction levels there and filter some of the rocks. But during my heyday of racing, it was a very difficult day. I left there battered and bruised and just was completely disheveled from the abuse all of those rocks gave you. And then I just never really rode all that well there either. Um, I tried like hell, but it just didn't work for me. I, I was too aggressive on the throttle and Unadilla doesn't really reward that. It certainly didn't back then anyway. So those tracks didn't make it. And obviously Hangtown we've known for a very long time is not on the schedule. But again, I'm just happy for racing. We're going to get Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. We're going to get MXGP. MotoGP kicked off today. Formula One was racing today. So it's going to be a cavalcade of racing. And then college football is coming right behind it. And the NFL is coming right behind that. So again, as bad as it's been, there are better days on the horizon. A couple of the sponsors I want to thank Pirelli Tires. Go check out at Pirelli MX on Instagram. Go look at their website, Pirelli Tires. And go buy a 32 Midsoft. I've said on this podcast many times that it is my favorite tire. It is my favorite front by far. And I think for straight line drive, the 32 is really, really tough to beat. Um, I've said for years, and this is being unbiased, this is going back to like 20, 2009. I would take a Dunlop Supercross front and a 32 Midsoft rear, and that was my setup. And that was before Pirelli really got going with their you know, their innovation on the front tires. Cause you remember that was before the James Stewart stuff and they jumped on board with JGR. So I would have taken Pirelli's now, but back then, even back then is, is my point that Pirelli rear was amazing. And it's, they've changed it a little bit. They've messed around with some knob height stuff, but it, the overall design is unchanged. It just works that well. So go check out Pirelli tires. Thanks for thanks to them for coming on board first. And uh, my history goes back with them to 1998. So thanks to Josh Whitmire and all the guys over there. Buenzal Oils, at Buenzal is their Instagram, Buenzal.com. If you go on there now, you can get 10% off mixed pine cases. And that's a pretty cool option because if you go in, you know, you want to order something online, you don't generally have a lot of flexibility in your order. So you could buy 455, you could buy 460, you can buy whatever you need. You could put some chain lube in there. You can buy whatever you need for your personal needs and you actually get a discount for that mixed pine case. So go check out Blenzol. They have been around forever 
And those, you know, there are probably a lot of people listening to this podcast that have been around racing for longer than I have. Think about all their, their history and car racing and their history and the, you know, vintage racing, they're everywhere and they are back in action. They're trying to really reach out and kind of grab the younger customer because if you're under 30, you may not know a lot about blends all because you were not born yet, but their products are second to none. And they are very active right now. They're, they sponsor all kinds of racers and racing, quad racing, Michael Wesse, this podcast, and the future is very, very bright for Blenzalk. So check, go check those guys out. Work Connection. We've talked about the Pro Launch Start device several times on this podcast. And listen, don't take my word for it. Go to at Works Connection Instagram and go watch the IGTV video on the Pro Launch Start device. They did a great job with this. Eric Phipps, his, his son, actually created this video. And it's pretty awesome. If you've ever wondered how it works, why it works, what the advantages are, how to install it, this video really does a great job of all of that. And better than anything else, it's purpose-built for your specific model. It's not a, a one-size-fits-all you know, erector set that you have to build. And for me, it's, it's perfect because I'm not an engineer. I don't have a lot of skill when it comes to assembling things. If you ask me to rebuild something on a motorcycle... I'm just going to shake my head nervously because I, I know I can't do it, but the works connection side, that's the great part is it's built for your bike. So it's going to be very, very easy to install. Pump Creek funding, Zach Morris talked to him the other day. Loans are actually under 3%. And if you've been listening to this industry seating podcast for a while, you know that I've kind of been talking this thing down. It was at three and a half percent. Then it was at 3.33. Then it was at 3.25. And listen, the government's just trying to incentivize people to keep buying, right? They're trying to keep the housing industry going and they're doing a hell of a job of it because getting a 30 year loan under 3%, that's a crazy good deal. And I bought my first house in 2005 and my rate was 5.85, right? So just, and I'm sharing my personal details with you. Had I been able to get this loan now, I would have saved around $8,000 a year, maybe a little less, maybe like 7,500 bucks a year from the rate that I had to getting, you know, I could get like maybe two, seven, five. Now we're talking about seven or eight grand a year that I would save every single year in interest. That's a lot of money. So check out Plum Creek funding at Plum Creek funding, Zach cell phone, 720-212-4685. And again, just ask questions. Ask him what he can do for you. Ask him how he can save you money. There is no downside to this. Trust me. I've looked into every aspect of it. Yeah. You're closing costs up front, which you don't have to pay. They just go back into your loan. But over the course of your loan, you can save 40, 50, 60 grand easy. My, my last refi was in 2017 and I only got 4%. My rate right now is 4% and it saved me $64,000 over the course of my loan. So ask questions. Questions are free. That's the greatest part of all of it. Moving on, Premier Vapor Blasting. Go check out their Instagram. It's at Premier Vapor Blasting. I saw they posted a set of upper and lower triple clamps that they had just revitalized. Seriously, I kind of come with the same message every week because I'm in disbelief every week. They take the most blown out, beaten down, hammered dirt bike parts and make them look brand new. And I don't want to know how they do it. I'm not a huge fan of black magic. I try to keep everything above board, but what they're doing is truly unbelievable. And it's just one of those things where I just accept it and move on. And I don't want to know how the sausage is made, but they're doing some great work over there. If you mention the industry seating podcast, you will get a 25% discount. So premier vapor blasting for all of your bike needs and make that bike look brand new again. 612 suspension. If you have anything with two or four wheels, maybe not. Okay. Maybe if you have a Ford F-250, 612 suspension might not be for you. But if you have a side-by-side, -side, if you have a dirt bike, if you have a street bike, they could probably do a moped. I don't know if I would call up anywhere and say, hey, I have a moped that I need to you know, make it a hot rod. But certainly a dirt bike, adventure touring, any of that stuff, if you want it to work the best it possibly can, reach out to 612 suspension. At 612 suspension is in their Instagram, 612suspension.com, and you spell out S-I-X, the number one, two suspension. Ask for Ronnie. He'll get you dialed in. I've known the guy most of my life. Great people, family company. They will take care of you. Mention this podcast. 
you will get a 20% discount on parts and labor. The parts side is pretty cool because he's literally just losing that 20% on the parts. And I kind of had to ask him, like, are you sure? But yeah, he wants to grow the business. He wants to be affiliated with this industry seating podcast. And in the end, yeah, okay, it's his business, but he's going to help all of you have better performing equipment. Like I said last week, if nothing else, just get your oil changed. It's literally the lifeblood of your suspension. Get your oil changed, ask some questions, talk to him about your height, your weight, your riding skill, and your discipline, and he can steer you in the right direction. So thanks to Ronnie and 612 Suspension. Fast Foundry, and similar to Plum Creek, they're not a moto company, but guess what? They are moto people. They're a tech solution company. Now, if you have a startup, right, I'm, I'm going to talk to you guys about a little startup that I have going here in a minute. But whether you're a startup, you're an existing company, you probably have a need for this. Everything revolves around IT these days. And it's crazy because even for this podcast, right, I have to reach out to Swisscore, who Kevin Husted, from those of you who follow the Pulpamex empire, and he has to go in and then add the music and add certain aspects to it and the outro and all, make sure everything, the files right and upload and do all these things. But it's kind of the same thing for business. For me, I feel like I've become a fairly decent salesperson, right? And I can go into, you know, a, a customer of ours, a dealer, and I can usually close a sale. And that's, that speaks to how great the fly racing brand is, but also I have to have all of this backend IT support to make that successful. It, there's so much integration that has to be done now for every company. And that's where everything's going. So reach out to Fast Foundry, and again, it doesn't matter if you're a startup and you're just getting off the ground, or if you've been around for 50 years and you need to get modernized and up to speed, and maybe you need to automate, reach out to Fast Foundry and see how they can help you, fastfoundry.com. Talk to Robert over there. They've worked with companies like HP, Mountain Dew, Intel. They help Adam Nap. Robert's always at the races with, with that crew. And that's the best part of it is you can have a conversation that has no business going on at a motocross race that could be about your specific IT needs, but he's going to be able to talk to you about moto too. And you're going to be like, Hey, how seven deuce deuce going to do tonight. And he can totally wrap with you about that. And then 30 seconds later, you can be talking about all kinds of coding and integration and automation way past my vocabulary. And he's going to be able to keep up on both sides. So I love having companies involved in this podcast that are moto people one that's almost a prerequisite for this podcast is to be moto because that's who I want to deal with but then being able to branch out into other forms of business and kind of bring those two worlds together and you're connecting like-minded people that's what this is all about and that's what I think makes industry seating podcast and fast foundry that combination so great Finally, fly racing. Of course, you know, I work there. I'm already mentioned it like five times in this podcast. The new line comes out in 11 days. Very exciting for me. Friday, July 31st, fly racing 2021. Get to show everybody. I don't have to talk about it in alleys and dark hallways and, and, uh, you know, make sure that no one has a wire on so they can't record what I'm saying. So it's coming out Friday, July 31st. Check it out. Fly racing. Dot com. So let's get into some of these listener Q and A's. And I appreciate all of you listening to the commercials. I know they can drag on. I listen to podcasts nonstop. I probably listen to two or three hours of podcasts a day. And I always listen to the commercials, even if I don't necessarily care about some of the things they're talking about, because I listen to a lot of business and tech podcasts and some of the, sometimes the commercials in there, I don't even know what they're talking about. It's so far past what I know or can't even comprehend, but I like to learn. Clearly, if I don't know what they're talking about, that means I need to do some homework and not be so ignorant. So it's the same thing with our podcast. Our pod, you know, this, this podcast, the commercials are pretty straightforward, but even a company like Fast Foundry, if you don't necessarily understand what they do, go check it out. They're still moto people. They do, they watch the same things that we do and they, they're wanting to go to the races and can't wait for this motocross series to start up just like you, but they're a lot smarter than me. When, when Robert starts talking tech and I had a meeting with him at our company, 
say like a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And I didn't understand the words that were coming out of his mouth. And I had, I wanted to connect him with our IT department because they're going to be speaking the same language. I speak sales and I can speak marketing, but I can't speak IT. That goes way over my head and I'm the dumbest person in the room. So the same thing goes for these commercials. Listen to them. I promise I'm going to make them as, as painless as possible, but maybe you'll learn something in like Plum Creek funding. You're probably going to save a lot of money. If someone could promise you that you were going to listen to a commercial and save a, a lot of money, maybe upwards of 50, 60, a hundred grand, then I'm going to listen to the commercial. It's just that easy. So some of these listener Q and A's, let's jump right into a few of them. I'm only going to do a couple. We're already at 35 minutes. So I don't want to drag this podcast out too long, but some of these were really long winded and I was like reading and reading and reading. I'm like, holy cow, this, this is great, you know, engagement, but holy cow, I'd I need to take a break from work to, to read through these things. So the first one from Michael, he's asking about Salt Lake city supercross, the seven round supercross blitz that we had over three weeks. And he's asking about COVID-19 and people, everyone that went had to get tested. That was a prerequisite. And he's asking if anybody got, if anybody tested positive and if I know who they were and should we publicize it? So to answer your question, yes, there were a few people that did test positive. I do not know their names. I'm pretty sure they were West coast racers, part of a West coast team, and they were sent home. So you remember there were two East coast rounds and then we switched with two or three, maybe three East coast rounds. And we switched over to the West coast and a whole new crew of people rolled into town and had to get tested. Well, some of those in the West coast tested positive. And I, I know of, well, I was told there was a rider and a girlfriend that definitely tested positive and were sent home, but I never learned the names of those people. And, and honestly, it's none of my business. I don't know how HIPAA affects that, right? If we're even allowed to be told or any of that, I don't really care, but yes, some people did test positive, but if there were only a few out of the 900 tested, that's a pretty good percentage rate. And if you, if you watch the news right now, it seems like it's like 98% of the world is testing positive right now, which I don't want to get political, but what a bunch of crap. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a very, very low number of the 900 people. And I, I think it was five or less that actually tested positive and, Testing wasn't that much fun. You have a swab inserted into your brain, more or less. And uh, yeah, whatever. It wasn't as bad as what I was expecting. But um, yeah, I would do it again. No problem. If I, if you know, I'm forced to get one for Luke Soul Promoter Cross or whatever, yeah, bring it on. I'm fine with it. So he's asking if no one did test positive, we should publicize that. But there were a few positive tests. And, and remember, this is going back, coming up on two months, right? It's uh, been seven weeks since all that testing went on. Next question from Josh. He's asking, where do I see the 450s heading in the next few years? The bikes are getting better and better. Are we going to be paying 20K for a crazy customizable 450 like they do in MotoGP? I don't think so. But again, if you look at the 2021 Honda, I think they're like 11 to 13,000 or something, depending on options. And I'm going off a of memory there. I, I don't have it right in front of me. In 10 years, could I see a 450 being 20 grand? I guess. You start looking at inflation and the way the economy is right now, it's not impossible. Now, go back 20 years and think about a YZ250 and they were, you know, five, six grand, something like that. So they're a 450s double that. So in 10 years, could it double again? I would say unlikely because I think that would pretty much kill any recreational riding for a lot of people, but I don't think it's impossible. Now, if you look at the way spending is right now, people are not scared to buy a $30,000 side-by-side. The main difference there is that the whole family can join in when it's a $30,000 side-by-side. So the kids, the better half of the relationship are on board and that makes it a much easier spending decision. Now for dad to buy a $20,000 motorcycle or or right now, a $10,000 motorcycle that only he can ride 
and the rest of the family has to sit around and watch, or he's just gone all day. That's a difficult situation that makes it much, much tougher to justify. So I don't think a market for a $20,000 motorcycle exists unless it's a very niche market. And you had just some like for street bike terms, like an RC 213 V where it wasn't really for the mainstream. It was just a very specific customer that they custom built. That's possible, right? Like a, a factory edition or a Roxon edition Honda or whatever. I guess that's possible. Um, but man, trying to swallow a $20,000 price tag on a dirt bike doesn't sound very appealing on any level for the factory, for customers, for dealers carrying that much, the, Think about the dollars they have to carry on inventory, you know, now on their floor. Um, that's a, a tough ask to get there. So let's, let's hope not. I don't think that's good for anybody. I don't think that's good for the growth of the sport because that's really what it comes down to financially is getting people on dirt bikes and can they afford to take their kids riding? Can they afford to buy a dirt bike? Because you look back at the heyday of this sport and I'm talking seventies and eighties bikes are really inexpensive. So for a parent, they could buy a dirt bike for their child. Think about birthdays, stuff like that. If a, a kid asked for a PW50 or a TTR 125, in those days, it wasn't a crazy ask. Yeah, okay, it costs money. But now, kid asks for a new bike and it's several thousand dollars. The parents are just like, no, they, they can't afford it or, un, or that's just an unreasonable ask in a lot of cases. And that's a real challenge facing our sport and it's been facing our sport for a long time. And I don't see an immediate solution to it, but I can tell you that having a $20,000 dirt bike is not going to be the answer. That's the antithesis of the answer. So anyway, good question, but I really hope that that's not the case, Josh. Next question from Gene talking about COVID seems like everything, everybody and everything is about COVID. So he's talking about the silver lining is that the power sports industry is benefiting from this, which is absolutely true. Every company, including the ones I work for, have seen a growth in the sport because of coronavirus and people being cooped up and no sports going on and nothing else to do other than go ride their dirt bikes or take their side-by-sides out. He's asking, do I think that surge will continue? Will there be a growth in racing with all these people actually riding? Will we see those dollars that are being created right now for certain, not everybody, but certain companies, will they increase the contingency payout? teams be able to hire more riders? So several aspects to the question, but let's hope so. I don't know. You know, the sport really took a downturn coming out of the last economic crisis in 2008. I lived through it. My livelihood depended on it and it was difficult. All the contingency was gone. All the extra revenue streams gone. The things you could count on, like if you had a good result at a Supercross weekend, okay, let's give real details because I I believe in giving real life examples. So let's say 2006, if I went and got 10th at a Supercross race, that was probably worth around, I'm going to say 4,000 bucks, something like that. Now, how I would get there is purse money. Then you would factor in Honda contingency, uh, fly racing. I was actually riding for a different brand that 06 season, but fly racing had contingency, uh, the oil companies, companies like Wiseco, everybody was kicking in money, tire companies a lot of times. And then I had little side deals too, where if you ran a sticker, they would give you a bonus. Like there was just a lot of ways to make money in the sport because there was a lot of money in the sport. Companies do were doing really well. The, the nation was prospering with really no idea what was on the horizon yet. Now flash forward to, let's say 2011. And if I got 10th, same result, same series, same everything, it was probably only worth around 2,100 bucks ish, right? So basically cut it in half. And that was across the board. That was outdoors. That was supercross. Europe really was kind of the same, which was nice. The money was really the same, but it basically cut my pay in half because all those other revenue streams and all those contingencies and all the bonuses were just gone. The companies were just like, we can't afford it. We don't have the money to do it anymore. And those are the first things to go. All of the optional extras are immediately gone. 
discretionary spending, I guess, for a company would be the easiest way to put it. Uh, optional marketing, just gone immediately, like just cut right out of the budget, deleted as an item line on a spreadsheet. And that hurt, that hurt a lot. So let's hope some of this revenue that is being created, people coming back into our power sports industry, those dollars and that revenue is really needed for our sport. And it's, I'm sure it's a lifeline and it's rejuvenating. A lot of companies have been struggling for a long time. So I hope that that continues. I hope it's not just a flash in the pan. And I hope that these companies can pay it forward. Now, as for fly racing, I know we have plans of that. We're trying to raise our marketing levels. We're trying to find ways to be more creative. We've been really aggressive already though. So there is, there probably won't be this massive jump from where we were. We were already kind of on the front end of that sponsoring supercross and sponsoring teams all over the place and ads. And, you know, you all know how involved we are with companies like pulp MX and swap moto live. And we're all over the place. So we don't have a whole lot more to go. You know, there's not a whole lot more avenues to travel down but we're still trying to find ways to reach customers that we haven't yet. We're still trying to find new ways to share our message. And when you have more dollars to work with stuff like that's possible. So good question. And I certainly hope so is my end answer. So this one's from Jarrett and he's asking, well, he's kind of informing and asking, he said he has reason to believe that there are big things coming from Suzuki. I don't know that to be true. This is Jarrett speaking. He said, I've heard there have been issues with the company willing to fund promotion and production of new products specifically for the United States, but perhaps they have a new motor in the works and they have it on deck waiting for new people to come in decision-making roles for the company. And I think he's roundabout talking about the new president who rumor has it is a big racing fan. And and the way this works for a lot of you who don't know, and, and I'm assuming most of you don't Suzuki motor company they rotate their presidents every five years. And certainly the one that's in Japan has the most pull, but each distribution has its own president. So for North America, the, when I was going to Japan in 2017 and 2018 for the launch, it was a guy named talk and that was short, right? He's a very Japanese man. I think his name was Taki, uh, Takishi but he was awesome. He lived in California and was very, uh, westernized, really cool to talk to, but he was approaching the end of his five year stay in America. And he, he didn't know where he was going to get rotated to, right? The board gets together and they decide that, but he could be off to Europe. He could be off to South America. He could be, could have been next in line for Japan, which is the biggest role. He didn't know. And that I was curious about that because that's, really a tough thing to face is you don't know where your next five-year run is going to be. You could, they could put you anywhere. And I'm sure he has a little bit of say in that, but it's not his sole decision. So in that, uh, climate, the new president for Japan is supposedly a big race fan and he wants to get much more involved. So that's the rumor. We'll see how that goes. They certainly need it with the R and D budget being cut. They need all the help they can get. They need a big investment and they need a big vision for where they can get back to, because right now they're just getting their heads kicked in. And if you look at their MotoGP program, it's not like they don't know how to build great motorcycles. It's not like they just don't have the technology. They just need the resources to innovate and recreate their motorcycles to get back on the level. And that takes money. That takes a lot of resources and a lot of time and a lot of money being thrown at an effort so they can hire the right engineers or at least retask the engineers that they have. I'm sure they have plenty of talent there, but they need testing budget and they need electronics and they need all these things because Jarrett goes on in his question about having electric start. Listen, they have electric start. When I was there in 2018, it was sitting on a shelf, but the problem they had was the bike was too heavy and they had to decide between spring fork or electric start. And if they had both, they were going to be heavier than the 2017. And that was a death knell. You absolutely could not come out with an all new bike, have media there. You're launching this thing, making a huge deal about this new bike and then be heavier than the old bike. You would be dead before you even launched the thing. That's just a fact. So in the end, they decided spring fork was more important than electric start. 
and that's where we still sit. We still don't have an electric start, and they take a lot of heat. People make fun of it all the time. But really, if you look at what should have happened, and it's easy for me to say that. I'm not pulling the purse strings. I don't, I don't have any say in this, and it's not my money or my budget. But what needed to happen was Suzuki needed to throw money at it and say, okay, go make the bike much lighter. Look at what KTM's doing. Look at what Honda's doing. How are they getting their bikes so much lighter? And that's really where the innovation comes in. Because if, you know, I think at the time the bike weighed 247 pounds, 248 maybe was the 17 and the two, the 2018 was 247. So they really didn't get it any lighter. I mean, okay. On paper it's lighter so they can run that headline lighter, all new, you know, 2018 big deal, but they need to get it down like in the two twenties or at least in the two thirties to make a real splash. So they need to go do their homework. They need to look at what the other companies are doing, but they're, the other companies are basically just making everything smaller and more efficient, rethinking the brake systems, rethinking how to make the engine smaller and more efficient, the clutch and all these things where you can take weight out of that's where the innovation is. But again, it just comes down to resources and money period. It's not like Suzuki doesn't have smart people. Their MotoGP bike is incredibly good. They win MotoGP races and that's the biggest spending we see in all of motorcycle racing. So they know how to build great motorcycles, but if you're not innovating, if you're not putting any money towards it and you're not telling your smartest engineers like, Hey, we need you to work on this motocross bike, then of course you're going to fall behind. So long answer there. But he, he's basically just kind of asking, like, what's going on behind the scenes? Why aren't they stepping up? And it just comes down to where the brass at Suzuki wants to direct their resources. And in the last, let's say, 10 years, it doesn't seem like dirt bikes have been the focus of their spending and their their forward-thinking innovation dollars. Let's hope that changes because they're in dire straits as far as that goes. And I hope the rumors are true that this, the new guy is, he's motocross minded because again, really proud brand. It's a brand I rode for, for four years, went to Japan twice. As I mentioned, spent a week with everyone there from corporate brass to engineers. So I, I have a working relationship of all of them, which makes it tough to be negative about the future. But again, if you're not going to spend and you're not going to put forth an effort, these other brands, KTM, Husky, Honda, Yamaha, Cowie, I'm just naming all the brands. So I know that doesn't get us anywhere, but they're all spending. They're all really aggressive right now. And that's the only way you can keep up. There's it's either innovate or die. That that's really, it's as simple as that. So, um, thanks for the question. But again, it's, it's really, really simple. You either spend money and continue to make a better motorcycle or you sit on the old motorcycle you have and get left in the dust. Now, before we get into the last question from Jeff, I want to talk to you guys about a new little project I have coming and it's going to start August 15th. Now, many of you have probably heard of Patreon and this is going to be a Patreon project. Now, what Patreon is, is it's kind of a pay to play, but it's more of a donation thing, but you get exclusive, unique content. It's going to be to the point, no sponsors, no commercials, no nothing. It's going to be every morning of the race. So August 15th, Loretta Lens national pro national. There's going to be, I don't know, could be 10 minutes, could be 20 minutes, could be 25 minutes. I don't know, but it's going to be based on that specific race. There's going to be some fantasy aspects to it. And it's really about what I think is going to happen. What's going on with the rumor mill that morning? What did I see on Friday? Or what did I hear about on Friday? What maybe happened throughout the week as far as practicing training, who had a big crash, who's feeling good, who's fighting with their girlfriend, what fantasy sneaky picks there are that weekend. But it's going to be a down and dirty, super quick preview of that race day. And again, it's only going to be available on Patreon. And if you don't know what Patreon is, go to patreon.com slash industry seating. You can search for it on there. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Sign up. You could be a member every month. But it's this podcast that I'm going to do every Saturday morning will only be available there and I'll upload it that morning. You can check it out leading up to the race and just get a little bit more insight, super cheap. 
and a lot of it's donation based, but it's just another way to get more information out there. And I've been trying to figure out a way to approach that Patreon aspect. And I think having that quick, insightful information on race day, especially for you fantasy players out there is a great way to go about it. And it, it just, if you're a moto nerd like myself and just want to hear the latest of what's going on that morning, I think that's a great way to go about it too. So check it out, patreon.com slash industry seating.com. And you can email me or direct message me for more information on that too. So last question is from Jeff and holy cow, this is a long question, but it's awesome. It's a really smart question. And to kind of make it concise, he's talking about Husky and KTM and now Gas Gas and how they are diluting the market share of all these other brands, right? So what KTM has done effectively is they have, from the same core company, have now absorbed some of the rest of the brand's market share because they've got one brand, KTM, then they've gone to two brands, Husky, and now they're going to have three brands of gas gas and all of them, they're going to be sharing the same technology and they can tell you, yeah, we're separate brands. We do this and that. We all know better, right? There are subtle nuanced differences, but when the same company innovates and they really step forward, everybody, all the other brands, whether it's Husky that they do it or KTM does it or gas gas does it, all of them will benefit together. And that's by design, right? They are stronger working as one than they would be on their own. Now he's asking, does that hurt the other brands? Yes. I think he's, he knows that, but is it going to affect them negatively to the point where they just are like, screw it. There's not enough money in this anymore because our market share is so diluted. Now, personally, I don't believe that will happen. These brands like Honda and Kawasaki and Yam, they are so proud and they're so dedicated to racing. And really, I don't think that racing supercross or the supercross budget has ever really made sense financially. It's too expensive for the amount of dirt bikes that are sold racing as a whole is too expensive. But what happens is it's a platform marketing aspect, right? So supercross racing on a Yamaha helps sell Yamaha generators because when you, the person that watches supercross go make your buying decision for a generator, if you're a big Yamaha fan, you're going to buy a Yamaha generator and a pressure washer and everything else that goes along with that brand. Because for pressure washers and generators, they don't have a big marketing platform. They don't have pressure washer races, right? So that a lot of that budget goes into the supercross budget. And I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's kind of trickle down marketing where you're trying to build brand loyalty through the biggest platform you have. And for a lot of those, it's Supercross, And I don't think that these brands, especially like an HRC or whoever, they're not interested in giving up or backing down. And it's really turning into a war, which will only help spending because these companies have all the money in the world. The money they're spending on Supercross is a drop in the bucket. It's nothing. When you look at what they're spending on car racing or even MotoGP to keep it motorcycle related, Supercross is, it's peanuts. Of course, it's a lot of money to you and I, but in their fiscal budget for the year, they're looking at it. It's not a lot of money. Uh, go do some research and, and I'm not speaking directly to Jeff. I'm just talking to anybody. If you want to learn more, go look at like Yamaha as an overall company or Honda Motor Corporation as an overall company, their P and L because they're, you know, these they're publicly, it's public information. The, the amount of money we're talking about is not a lot. So to speak specifics as to what he's asking about with KTM's plan for KTM Husky gas gas, you're on, you're exactly right of what they're trying to do. They're trying to dilute the market share for the rest of the brands on purpose. And they've made no bones about that. If you've ever read press releases from KTM, they're not shying away from it. They are going right after these Japanese brands and they want to take it to them. And you, I'm, I don't want to quote them because I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but when they launched this gas gas last brand, they even said, you know, we've been winning and beating the Japanese brands with two brands. And now we're excited about doing it with three. Like they are not messing around. They are aggressive. They have a plan and it. It's absolutely to dominate the Japanese period. 
And, and I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, nor should I be the one to say whether that's right or wrong, but that's their plan. They want to absolutely steal every sale and every dollar and every unit from the Japanese period. They want to win. And I don't think that they shy away from that fact whatsoever. Now, if you're asking if that's good or bad for the sport or the business side as a whole, I can't really say, but again, I do think that the Japanese are not scared of a fight. And I think if it's a purely financial basis, I think they would have stopped racing long ago. I don't think this has ever been something where the accountants are looking at it and going, yeah, we should, we should really fire up the racing side because that's making us a lot of money. I think it's always been where the accountants kind of look the other way because the company takes so much pride in the racing that they don't, they don't really have a choice on a P and L basis. It's a, it's a loser. But when you look at as overall brand growth and trying to get the company excited, they have lots of other things where they make lots of money. Supercross racing, probably not it. Now, do they make money selling side-by-sides and all the other things, you know, they sell scooters, you know, and especially if you look at the South Pacific, Start even in Asia too, but like Thailand, Indonesia, go look at how many scooters people are riding over there. That's a huge market. And if you've ever wondered why MotoGP and MXGP go to Indonesia and Thailand and China and these places, look no further because that marketing, a brand like that, even if it's a motocross race, those people that are buying scooters, that works. Those people like motorcycles. That's why they ride one. It's obviously cheaper, but they're fans. They're big fans, and that's how they can justify spending the money they do and traveling to these races where probably not a lot of motocross racing going on in Jakarta. There is some because I know guys like Daniel Blair have raced down there, but it's not a big sport where you could justify bringing the whole MXGP world down there. But that's okay because everyone and their brother rides a scooter, and all those dollars are attributable to the OEM side for their marketing plan. So thanks for the question, Jeff. And to your point, if you're asking if it's good or bad, I don't know. But my point would be that KTM is doing this for exactly the reasons you're saying. They want to dilute the market as much as possible and absorb that market as much as they can to themselves. And the rest of <laughs> the rest of the industry can be damned for all they care. They have already declared war. They do not care. And when you put something like that into a press release saying, basically, we look forward to beating the Japanese with three brands instead of two, I don't think the Japanese really take that lightly. And I don't think that the power and the brass at KTM really care. <laughs> so at least, at least they're willing to put it out there and knowing how it's, that message is going to be received. I think there's something to be said for that, though, is the honesty and the transparency is that they want to win and they do not care how that message is received. So anyway, really good question there. And I really like the business aspects of the sport sometimes and the behind the scenes thinking of trying to win market share because, you know, coronavirus has helped getting people on to dirt bikes and back in the power sports industry. But for years before that, we weren't, weren't really seeing any organic growth. It was just companies stealing each other's market share, which isn't ideal because someone is suffering and someone's winning, but someone's also suffering in that process. But I think that KTM Husky gas gas has kind of declared that they don't care. They're going to, they'll steal your customer and your neighbor's customer as well, but they're also offering fantastic products and they're investing as much as they possibly can to make sure that they win. So kudos to them. So that's it for this week. Again, keep the questions coming. Going to give a set away, a set of tires away next week, if I can learn how to talk. And then we're going to do the formula helmet giveaway on Monday, August 3rd. And that'll be less than two weeks out from the start of Lucas Oil Pro Motocross and only five days out from the start of the MXGP series in Latvia. And for those of you who care, I am still planning on going to some MXGP rounds, had a conversation with the in front group, which is also youth stream. And they're still cool with coming. I just got to sort out when and where I can go. But, you know, the border being allowed into the EU or South America and back into the U.S. is obviously the biggest factor of that. And uh, I just have to wait and see. But I'm very excited that that opportunity is still there. 
and I fully plan on taking advantage of that. So I'll be doing my homework and watching all of this racing, MotoGP, MXGP, motocross, mostly because I love it, but also because I want to speak intelligently about it when I'm asked to and the opportunities that are thrown my way. So thank you to everybody for listening. Thanks to all the sponsors. Check out the Patreon site. It'll be August 15th. It'll be the first one. And uh, keep the questions coming. Jason36 at AOL.com. My Instagram is at Jason66Thomas. You can DM me there. And the podcast Instagram is at Industry Seating. See ya.